As a church family, um, Titus chapter 3, we're ending this chapter today, and I'm going to talk a little bit with a few verses at the end of this book uh, that we haven't hit on yet, and talk specifically about our church. And I want us to just really, this is kind of the swing, the cleanup batters position here this morning on, on things that we just haven't touched on as it relates to healthy church. But, I, you know, I want to start off with this, with this thought today, and that's just to recognize that um, this morning, this room, this is, this is God's team. Um, what makes a church important isn't the facility you go to worship in, it's the people around you. And it's the health of the heart of the individual that sits beside of you or even your own personal heart as it relates to your relationship with God. Uh, God's people are called to live out his mission in this world. When God created the church, he created the church for a purpose. And what you do matters. It reflects in this world the goodness of who he is. And, you know, when we gather together on a morning like this, I don't want to take for granted just how sacred and special this, these moments are and how sacred and special that you are uh, to the world because of what Jesus has called you to do. Uh, when you think about the, the beauty of Scripture and, and the way God has worked throughout Scripture, in 1 Kings, God had his people build a temple. It became the place where his uh, presence dwelt, the Shekinah glory of God. If you wanted to meet God, it was known that the presence of the temple is where that took place. And, and the interesting thing then about the temple was that only one person could actually go into the building one time a year, right? It's like building a church building. All of us worship in the parking lot. Only per- one person can walk in. But when the first temple was built, there was a, a tabernacle they followed, that followed Israel around. But they finally built the first temple. First Kings 8 records what happens. It says, when the priest came out from the holy place after they commissioned it to, before the Lord, the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And so they saw the beauty of God's presence made known in this temple. But something happens between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God dwelt in this temple. That's where his presence was. God wanted his temple to be a place for the nations. Jesus comes and says he's going to destroy the temple in three days, rebuild it. He hangs on the cross. He says to tell us stop paid in full, meaning the payment for your sins paid in, in full. And he tears the temple in two. And it's to signify that the presence of God no longer dwells in the temple. In fact, in the book of Acts, which is the only historical book that we have in the New Testament by category, it's the only historical book. You can learn history from the New Testament. Uh, but, but it falls under that category. And you see the disciples talking over and over about this idea of the, the temple. And look what they say in, in chapter 7 and chapter 17. The most high does not dwell in houses made by human hands. Or chapter 17, the Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands. And what they're recognizing for us is the sacredness of really who you are because what happens in the New Testament is rather than this facility where people to gather that, that you have become the temple. First uh, Corinthians 3.16, 6.19 both say that, but in 2 Corinthians 6.16, another verse, it says, for we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them. God's desire was uh, to make his presence known in your life, to reside in you. As you give your life to the Lord because of the payment Christ has made for you on the cross, God dwells in you and is with you wherever you go. In fact, he gave that promise to his people as he, they live for him in this world. He, he says this in Hebrews thirteen five: for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Now you think in the Old Testament, you want to experience the presence of God, you go to the temple. All of a sudden, God's presence is no longer in the temple. And you say to yourself, okay, how in the world are we ever going to experience the presence of God? What hope do we have? And then God gives this promise to you that he will dwell in you and with you. 
that though he left the physical temple, he will never, never forsake you. God's presence is with you always. In fact, that's the promise he gave you in Matthew 28, 20. I will be with you wherever you go. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 2 Corinthians 1, 22, you are sealed by God. That word for sealing is actually an important, uh, important phrase in, in, in the early church. In this time period, when a ruler or a dignitary would seal something, his stamp of approval could not be broken. The only one that could break his seal was, was his authority or someone more powerful. And there were times where his seal couldn't even be broken based on the edict that he or the decree that he made. And when Jesus is saying he sealed you, there is no one more powerful than God that can break that seal. So you belong to him. His presence is with you wherever you go. How sacred and special you are to this world. How we treat one another, what is said here is so important because you are important. Christ in you. What a gift that is to us. What a gift that makes you to the world. And the understanding of what God has called you to now in light of what he has done for you. You know, I think about Alpine Bible Church and where God has us. There, there are a people around you, a generation beyond you that can be blessed by your pursuit of God and desire to know him and make him known of, in your life. Uh, one of the things that we've said together in this series is that you will make a disciple of something. And God calls us to be disciples of him. We said the church exists. Um, we don't define its purpose. God declares his purpose. And it's in the two greats, the great commission, the great commandment. And the great commission is to go in the world and make disciples of all nations. But he tells us of what? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because you will make a disciple of something. And the reason you will make a disciple of something because, is because your heart cherishes and values something. You will worship something with your life. You will attribute worth, value, and meaning to something. And what your heart longs for, what your heart aspires to, will attract other people to want to belong to that. You will make a disciple of something. The question is of what? What do you love? What do you care about? What's important to you? Understanding your influence is significant to understanding what, what God has called us to in this world. To examine our hearts and look at our desires and recognize what are we producing and is it worth producing. God calls us to live on mission. God challenges us to grow in our relationship with him and at the end of the book of Titus, he really positions two, two ways to think about our lives. In, in verse 9 to 11, he says it like this. Uh, when you think about living on, intentionally in life, living on purpose and pursuit of God and knowing him and making him known in this world, he says this, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. The warning in, the, in this passage is that it's easy in our lives to, to get distracted. Recognize within these verses that what's happening in the life of this individual is, is that they, they're having this external debates over secondary issues that really don't matter in the grand scheme of life. They're not really focusing on heart struggles 
The secondary things that ultimately, who cares? It's like you get in a circle to make a difference and you end up just talking about weather, where you went hunting, and who won the football game. (laughs) I mean, it was pretty cool to watch the University of Utah last night, I have to admit, but um, it doesn't matter. Is that what we remain fixated on, right? And I know within the passages of Scripture, they're, they're getting to particulars about this. I know Paul doesn't have football in mind. Football's not even invented here. But in verse 9, he, he refers to this as foolish controversies. Uh, avoid foolish controversies. And you, uh, you think, yeah, I want to go back and figure out what exactly these guys were arguing about. I could see Titus writing, here's the church, here's the questions they have. Paul, how could you, how could you respond to this in a godly way? And Paul says, very simply, Who cares? <laughs> Nobody cares about, about that. What's the point? There's some problems are just so petty. They're not intended to be addressed. So get over it. That's really, that's really what he's saying here. Titus, this is stupid. Right? Like, the foolish controversies. That really, is this what we're going to fixate on as God's community? We've got bigger fish to fry here in what God has called us to. Let's not fixate on these small issues because they sideline us. And he begins to share the thought, maybe, maybe one of those is the area of, uh, of genealogy, everyone going around trying to tout who they are because of who their parents were. God doesn't care who your daddy is. God's not interested in name dropping. God's interested in your heart. Everyone comes to Jesus, that comes to Jesus comes to Jesus the same way, it's through the cross. There is no special privileges based on whoever you might be associated with or wherever you came from. It's Jesus or no Jesus. So avoid these controversies and genealogies, arguing over the law, and Jesus paid for it all. When we were condemned in the law, Christ bought us in him, so Jesus fulfilled all of the law. There, there's, it's Jesus or not. Where's your heart in this? And, and then he just describes it like this. He says it's unprofitable and, and worthless. And he identifies this person in the very last verse as, as perverted and, and sinning and being self-condemned. This idea of being perverted is really saying he's tearing things up. He's making things worth, worse. When, when you think about what they're contributing to the body of Christ, there's no gain here. There's no benefit to it. And you're leaving us with the questions, are you holding on to anything that keeps you, seeing, keeps you from seeing God working in your life or the lives of those around you? What would happen if you just let it go and make priority the things that should be the priority? Does it really matter the things that often get us worked up that we fight for or fight over? You, know, you may not be able to control the things that happen to you in life, but you can control how long you choose to stay there. You know, oftentimes in life, and I am definitely this way as a person, that you can have a thousand things go right, but one thing go wrong, and that's where your mind is for the rest of the day, right? The perfectionist mentality. You want the hundred things that are all good and, and, and wonderful over here, but then there's the one squeaky wheel that in a minute you got some quiet time, you can just hear it rotating over and over in your head. And what Paul's saying is at some point you just got to let squeaky wheels squeak. 
And the question is, well, when do you stop and just let the squeaky wheels squeak? Well, he tells you after the second warning in verse 10. Like, go to it, do something about it. Second time, maybe stop by, but man, get over it. Because what God's called you to in this world is so much bigger than just to fixate on the one problem when a thousand things Jesus desires to do and work through in your life. Find where God's moving and move with him. Let God work through those avenues. And so, so while he, he looks at how people are uh, pulling away from, from the idea of what God desires for the church to do because what, what God's called them to is so important, so special. He then, he then works in, in verse 12. He starts to talk about the, the way that their, their minds should focus towards where God has called them. He says this, but I, I, when I send Artemis and, and Tychicus to you, look, Paul's like, I'm moving on from this because look, answer the problems after a second warning, just move on. And here we go. We're moving on. We're sending these people out in the world and we're doing things for Jesus. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis for I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos and on their way so that nothing is lacking from them. Great, great kids' names, right? Throwing those out for you today. Merry Christmas. Or, or our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. I love this. He's sitting on mission. I know in Christianity, <laughs> sometimes you got people that get so worried, they get so focused on the holiness of God, good thing to be focused on, but they feel like they need to take the position of God to make sure that holiness is lived out because you can't control everything, right? They're like, God calls us to be holy. We don't need to be sinful. And you just so fixate on that. All you can do is your life becomes about telling people when they're, they're doing things wrong. <laughs> All the time. You're the, you become the Holy Spirit. No one wants to be around you anymore. And Paul's like, look, man, you can't, you can't do that in people's hearts. But here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to send people. We're going to look for people that want to see Jesus made known in their lives. And we're going to share that with them. And we want you to partner with that. And, and we need to at some point just let those things go so we can move forward to what God has called us to together. And in verse 14, he, he really gets to the crux of what he's about. He's sending all these people around. But here's what he's after. Our people must learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. I love this. We need to learn. We need to learn what this looks like. We need to always be engaging with our mind to see where God is working. The place that God has put you in this world is so important. You know, we, I, don't, I don't mean to say this to stress us out because, look, guys, I think I've said this to us a few times. You can't make a difference everywhere. Sometimes we get so overwhelmed by all the needs in the world that we just, we just get paralyzed and not able to move forward because we can't simplify. Um, you're not going to make a difference everywhere. But you can choose to make a difference somewhere. God builds relationships in your life in different seasons of your life to make that difference but in our minds, it becomes our responsibility to remember how precious it is and where we live and, and to never let our thought go from how we can glorify God where we are. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet uh, pressing needs. This idea of, of pressing need is, is, is a thought of what's actually important. So you see in verse 9 to 11, here they are fixating on secondary issues that 
really aren't going to matter five seconds from now. But our people really need to hone in on the heart to minister where people are, to meet those, those pressing needs. And I love the way he, he says it here at the end, so that they will not be unfruitful. Um, when we get stuck in things, like we can't let things go, can't move forward because we're there, that's, that's the danger, right? You become unfruitful. But God's desire for us in this verse is to do good deeds, to meet pressing needs so that we are not unfruitful. Um, I, I like thinking about this word fruit for a minute as it, it's painted in, in Scripture for us. Um, when you think about fruit, probably the most famous passage is Galatians chapter 5, walk in the Spirit and, and you're going to bear fruit. That's what it tells us to in that passage. Here, here's the neat thing about fruit and where I want to position this verse for us because it talks about doing good deeds and it talks about bearing fruit. But I want us to recognize that good deeds aren't necessarily bearing fruit. That, these, these, are, these are two different things. That's why they're distinguished in this verse, okay? You, you certainly do good deeds, and, and from that you see fruit uh, bore. But when the Bible talks about fruit, it's not actually talking about physical deeds. Um, when you read in Galatians chapter 5, oftentimes when it, it references the word fruit, it tells us the fruit of the Spirit, and it goes on to describe it, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Those aren't really deeds. Those are, those are uh, fruits of the heart that come out because of the Spirit. They're relational words, And the reason I think this is important for us to recognize is because when we talk about deeds, the deeds that we do as a church are never intended just to be a deed done into itself. That the intention behind anything that we do as God's people and ministering for his kingdom is always about the heart that we desire to reach for God's glory and encourage in him. Now, we don't love people just to simply manipulate them to get them to come to Jesus. We love people because Jesus loves people. And in loving people the way Jesus calls us to love people, the attraction is, as they see the beauty of that love, is birthed out of what Christ has done for us. And so the result may be that they come to know Jesus. Or if they do know Jesus, they're encouraged further by Jesus. But we're not here to just manipulate the heart. We love hearts because God calls us to love hearts. But the point of all this is to say, look, what God is after is fruit. And what fruit is isn't simply accomplishing a deed, but to leverage works in order to minister to hearts because what Jesus ultimately cares about is people. When we talk about bearing fruit as God's people, here's, where, here's how it starts for us. In Galatians 5, walk in the Spirit, and you will bear the fruit. In the life of the believer, it begins by surrendering your heart. Because it's not my fruit, and it's not fruit I can fabricate. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And the Spirit only moves in my life when I'm surrendered to the calling that God has placed on me. And so, Jesus, I give over my life to you. I don't want to remain stuck in secondary issues that keep me trapped from living a life that's unfruitful. But your kingdom and glory, God, your will be done. And when I walk that path of surrendering to him, yes, I may physically do things. But the, the, the pursuit of physically doing things is to bless the heart of others. Because the fruit of the Spirit is all about relationship. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I want to serve God's people. I want to serve this world. I don't want to be unfruitful. But I want to be a part of a community that makes a difference. I want to be the church that makes the difference. You think, some people like to be 
the best church in the community. You know, sometimes rather than, and and I don't, I want to be a cool church. I want to be the best church that we can be, right? Um, Some churches get focused on kind of competing with other churches in order to be the best church in the community. I don't want to worry about that. I would rather be the best church for the community. You understand the difference? Like, there's the best church in the community. It's a popularity contest. And then there's the best church for the community. And the best church for the community doesn't really, isn't really about the popularity contest, but just living to bless the lives of other people around them. And, and, and in the end of that, people may, they may praise you, they may not praise you, but the glory goes to God through that. Right? Uh, I like the way the early church did it. It said it in Acts 15. Because um, church exists not for me. I know I get benefit from the body of Christ. I know there's love and encouragement in the body of Christ. But God called his church on a mission to bless the lives of people around him, to be a light in this world. So, you know, I don't walk in on Sunday about what I can get. But but if I walk in rather like this, what can I give? When I live a life that desires to bless people and it creates that kind of culture, here's what happens in the people around me. They live their life for that reason too. And the church community becomes contagious. It becomes a beautiful place. We don't get fixated on all sorts of traditions that become, that become unrelatable to the society around you. But rather, we, we step into the church and we ask the question, how can we establish a church in a way that blesses the society around us? You see that a lot in churches that they start to die because they get so fixated on their own tradition they can no longer connect with the people around them. And they'd rather hold to their tradition and die then figure out how to leverage what God's given them to bless lives around them. In fact, in Acts chapter 15, you see the heart of that in the church. In Acts 15, they're having a debate among the apostles as it relates to the gospel. And then when they reach the conclusion, this is what they say. They just give this, it just gives us a little peering into where their heart is as they see their church and their community. It says this, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. That's how they see their community. God, you've called us in this world. You've made your light known in us where your spirit seals, is sealed and, and dwells. Your presence is within us wherever we go. God, you came and sought me out to bless me and, and my life that I may know you, enjoy you all, all of the days of my life into eternity in your presence forever. And God, you desire to work that same miracle. You're that same miracle working God that worked in my heart that desires to work in the heart beside of me. God, how can we use us as your people to reach more, to bear fruit for your kingdom? Acts 15. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We don't want want to put extra obstacles in front of people. We just want them to know Jesus as Jesus desires to make himself known in their lives. The truth is difficult enough to wrestle with in our lives because the truth calls us to die to self. And we sure do like making self king. But in calling us to die to self, it calls us to live for something far greater than ourselves. And there's a wrestling that happens internally in all of us when that happens. And we should make the truth the only obstacle people have to wrestle with in order to know him. And so you see this attitude in the church. They have the servant heart for the benefit of others because Jesus served them. No, let's not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. 
that they may know and enjoy God. So when we think about our, our, our church, how does that look in, in our culture? How can we do this in the context of where ABC presently rests? Because there are a people around us and a generation beyond us that as we pursue Jesus can be a blessing to this world. God, what can you do in my heart right now that, that who I am leaves a, a legacy that lasts beyond me? And it may not be that they remember me, but the remnants of what we are about because of this church in this community. And it's not to get caught up on the secondary issues, but to pursue people for the cause of Christ, loving them as Jesus loves them. We said, we don't invent the purpose of the church. Jesus called the purpose of the church. And, and we recognize that wherever God calls his church to in this world, which is throughout the whole world, that, that the gospel need looks different in different places, Right? We say within the context of Utah, one of the most powerful things that people fight against here is loneliness. And that's, that's a result of sin. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, Adam and Eve were separated from their relationship with God. They knew that they were naked. They ran, they hid, and they clothed themselves. They, they see a division in their relationship between one another and their relationship with God. And people don't know what to do with that. The, the default in human nature is to think that religion is the answer and religion will never get you there. Religion is never the answer. Religion only teaches you how to cover yourself up more in order to try to pretty yourself before God, but religion will never do that. In fact, in the Garden of Eden, as soon as God came to Adam and Eve and they saw, he saw their religion of fig leaves on the outside, he stripped them of their fig leaves and he promised them the coming of the Messiah who would die for their sins. The answer isn't religion, the answer is Jesus and the relationship with him for which you were called. Jesus paid it all. And so there's a need in our society and this loneliness that God calls us on mission. And so we say it very simply in our church, we want people to experience that transformation in Jesus because we understand it transforms our relationships for Jesus. Your life was made that simplistically. You're created to know God and to enjoy him for all of eternity. You don't define your purpose. God did when he made you. And so coming to him, we find the basis for which we exist. And so when we think about our culture, we've kind of asked the question as a church over the years, how can ABC do this well? How can we create a culture that values this, that upholds our, our mission as a church? And I'm just going to go through these very quickly. But these are, these are seven thoughts that we've said, okay, if we just walk with these thoughts as it relates to our church, we can, we can see a culture within our lives that, that, that live to make a difference in the community that we you're in. This first one is a, more of a belief uh, than it is a value, but I like to keep this at the forefront of, of our lives because this, is, this was at the forefront of, of, of Paul's way of, of thinking. In, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul solidified his whole life. That, that, it's the, Philippians chapter 3 is the chapter where Paul gave up on his religion and stepped into a relationship with God. He listed everything that made him a religious man, and he said, I count it all as dung, and I, I pursue this one thing that I may know him. And this becomes important to the vitality, the health of any church, that you can't do anything effective for Jesus without first walking with Jesus. You cannot impart what you do not possess. And so we say as a community that when we walk out of this church building, uh, what, what you do beyond these walls are important. But it makes this moment so valuable because this is where your heart connects with God. And it should continue to connect with God as you leave. But in that connection to God, that's where the overflow of your relationship with God impacts this world. 
And so our heart's desire is, is to know God in all, all that we are, this, this thought of worship, connecting to him and, and delighting in him both now and for all of eternity. And, 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 and the way that we connect with him is through his truth. Truth is the catalyst for change. Truth transforms. Truth frees us. Truth is a means by which we worship God. Jesus told the woman that, well, he who worships must worship me in spirit and in truth. It's not who you say God is, it's who God, who God says he is. To know the truth of this God, because that is the only God that can, that can set you free. To have faith in something, faith, faith isn't what, it's faith in truth that saves, not just simply faith. And that truth is in Christ, right? You can have all the faith in the world, but if what you believe in isn't true, it doesn't matter. But a little bit of faith in what is true can make all the difference in the world. It's not the size of your faith, but the size of your God. But we don't just say it's about truth. It's truth and love. And there's a big difference there because some people like to preach the truth just to show others how right they are, how right they are and how wrong others are. And that's not the purpose of it. God gives us truth to serve us. That we could experience the truth for which we are called to be set free in him. We don't use truth to beat people up, but to serve people in Jesus. It's not about proving we're right and other people are wrong. But to understand the grace which set us free is God gives his grace to set others free as well. So we know God and we share the truth in love, our, our attitude and the way we present. To be right in the wrong way is to still be wrong. We want to share this truth and love. And the next is connecting community. Um, You can't love as Jesus calls you to love without having people to love around you. It is impossible to follow Jesus without a community. If you don't belong to a church, it doesn't have to be Alpine Bible Church. It is impossible to do what Jesus calls you to do without belonging to a community. Jesus calls you to bear fruit by loving on those around you. God has placed you on a team to make a difference in this world. To not be a part of that team is to not be a part of what Jesus calls you to do. This is Jesus' bride. Don't beat up on his bride. I don't think Jesus will take that lightly. But we care about what Jesus' bride does and therefore we care about the people that make up Jesus' bride. God desires for us to connect in community. And, and if, if Utah said in the beginning, if Utah's such a lonely place for some people, if we struggle with that, this should make community highly important to us. To understand who we are in light of who God is. When God gives us spiritual gifts, the spiritual giftedness that God gives us is intended to be related in community. You can never exercise what God's given you to exercise without having a community to exercise it with. Love is love. God, when we talk about God being love, and if you belong to, lo- uh, to God who, who is love, then you, you can't love as God calls you to love without people to deeply love. And love loves when it's difficult to love. I know sometimes church can get messy, but that's exactly where Jesus wants to work, in the middle of that mess. So connecting in community, God created you to belong. God didn't, God didn't create the church just to come sit in rows and hear a message and call that spirituality. God called us to be transformed in him and that transformation is impacting the way that we interact with each other. To become all things to all people. I, I, I love the, this thought, well, I don't have clicking power anymore. There we go. Become all things to all people. Um, all people assumes really that there's no limit to our love. 
God is looking at the world and the apostle Paul is saying, God's called us to reach a world in order to reach a world. I've got to meet them where they are. Whether it's Jew or Gentile, Greek or barbarian. I don't expect them to to jump hurdles to meet me where I'm at. Jesus called me to go meet them where they are. This is why I say sometimes in, in, in church it becomes stale because we make it about tradition and that tradition gets so disconnected from the outside world that when someone steps in, they're like, I don't, I don't fit here. <laughs> this is a weird story, but when we first started ABC, uh, I grew up in a tradition where, in an educational basis to become a pastor where um, I had to wear a suit everywhere I went and I hated it. I bought one suit and I wore it every day. I think by the end of the time of my graduation, it like stood up. I didn't have to hang it anymore. It just stood up in the closet. I finally threw it away a few months ago. I'm too fat to fit in it now. But um, I remember when we started ABC, uh, talking to my wife, I said, you know, I, I just want to dress like people dress on Monday. I don't, I don't want to create hurdles. And you might wear a suit on Monday, and that's fine. Wear what you wear. Right? So I told her, I was like, I thought this was profound. I'm like, gonna wear jeans and I tell that to her she's like so no you don't understand Stacy I'm I'm wearing jeans <laughs> so uh, all right all right it's only a big deal in my head right but but there's certain things in our lives that um if we care about people around us we should care enough to want to reach them where they're at right and that should be the heartbeat of this church to make a difference in jeans. <laughs> that's a weird, that's a weird illustration. I won't use that next service, but you guys get privy, that, that privy information, I guess. So, um, we don't want to, we don't compromise. We want, what I'm saying is we just want to contextualize the gospel. And people need a safe place to know God and, and grow in him. God doesn't care what we wear, dressed up or not dressed up. It, don't, it doesn't matter. And the next, next for us in becoming all things to all people is, um, get these a little quicker, is equip disciples. If what we produce isn't reproducing, then we need to question what we produce because what Jesus desires for us to do is to reproduce us as people, to make disciples, uh, equip disciples, not even just make them, but equip them, which means we empower people to do the work of the ministry. And guys, can I tell you this? Um, for whatever reason in church history, at least in recent, like we've become so program oriented that we, we just kind of create these programs and we busy ourselves to death. And like sometimes you'll step in churches, they got so many daggone programs going on and you look at the people and they look like they're running ragged because they're serving the program. There's nowhere in the Bible that says create a program. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's, can be a place for it. Um, but really the goal is God calls us to make disciples and just answer the question, how can we do that? And, and get this, the proven method is to know God's word and share that. It's like God gave us a Bible for a reason, <laughs> believe it or not. It's not Bible program then serve Jesus, it's just know the Bible and share that with others. It doesn't have to be complicated. Uh, do you know the most effective people to reach people for Jesus are God's people with a heart that desires to make a difference for Jesus. And you don't have to wait for the church to create a program to do that. You just go where you are because God called you as his church where you are to make a difference for Jesus. I'm not stressing that. You don't have to carry, you don't, you're not even the Holy Spirit in that. You're not the superhero to, raise, to save the day in that. That's Jesus' job. 
It'd just be the hands and feet. You don't have to know every answer. Just talk about what you love, about Jesus. And if you don't know the answer, say, you know, I don't know, but this is one area Jesus can grow me. I'm going to go learn that. Thank you for helping me. That's what happens when you serve Jesus as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And God calls all of us to, to grow in that and, and to see disciples made. And, and then um, to, to, to think of the scope of the magnitude is not finished until we've reached the nations. That, that God do, calls us to do it here, but to, but to think about everywhere as we do this for his kingdom. That God is about the ethnos, the people group, all peoples, all nations. That's why like, things like Christmas, we point to different places throughout the world that where we can make an impact because God's desire is for the world. And the last is this, to celebrate. And the reason we put this last is because sometimes we can get so busy at, at doing things that we forget to just appreciate what's been done. I like this, to know, to share, to connect, to become, to equip, to reach, and to celebrate. And this is really where we make this a culture, a cultural attitude in us. Um, because what you celebrate, you replicate. What we're saying as a group of people, when we cheer about seeing lives impacted for Christ and people making a difference for Jesus, when we celebrate that, what we're saying is, this is it. This is exactly what God calls us to do. This is exactly who God has called us to be in the lives of people around us. Keep doing that. You see somebody doing something around you that that impacts your heart or makes a difference to somebody else, man, stop and just say thank you. It's not about accomplishing the task, but it's about loving that heart where it's at. And if we leverage anything in our church to ever do this, man, use that. Make, make your spiritual job here to be the celebratory person of ABC, right? And if we all took that hat on, how beautiful that becomes in a church community that's like, I can't wait to go there. I did one thing this week and seven people are going to congratulate me about that, right? I mean, if we just celebrate that in our culture, how beautiful that becomes for us as God's people. How can we make a difference? And that's what Paul says in Titus. To not get fixated on these secondary things. Rather, verse 14. To always be thinking or learning to engage in the good deeds to meet pressing needs so that we will not be unfruitful. Because what God cares about is the heart of those around you. Thomas Carlyle said it like this. A man without a purpose is like a ship without a rudder and nothing and no man. More men fell out of lack of purpose than lack of talent. God's gifted you. And that's exactly how Paul's ending this verse. He talked about healthy church, but, but you can't write all of that in three chapters. But what he's getting our mind to engage in the understanding is we always need to keep the eyes open to, to where God's moving, learning to engage in good deeds, with meeting the pressing needs of the culture for which God has called us to make a difference so that we don't walk away as an unfruitful church because not only are we a great church in the community, but we're a great church for the community. This message has been brought to you by Alpine Bible Church in Lehigh, Utah. If you'd like more information, please visit us online at alpinebible.com.